This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Firminger, and today I am absolutely delighted to welcome Loretta Todd, Loretta Sarah Todd to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Loretta is a director, producer, activist, storyteller, and writer whose work has been honored around the globe. It's hard to describe what kind of filmmaker Loretta is, especially when you look at her body of work and you see Coyote's Crazy Smart Science Show or Sky and Chang, a girl-powered mashup at martial arts and science fiction, or the highly innovative Fierce Girls web series about teen superheroes who live in New Zealand and the downtown east side, or her documentaries about stolen treasures, about Chief Dan George, and about the art of filmmaking itself. And with the latest entry to her oeuvre of films, the big screen adaptation of Eden Robinson's powerful novel, Monkey Beach, I'm no closer to figuring Loretta out, but I know that words like thoughtful and fearless and poignant have got to be in there somewhere. Monkey Beach is the opening film, the opening film for the 2020 Vancouver International Film Festival. It follows a young woman named Lisa, played to perfection by Grace Dove, who returns to her family in Kitimat Village to save her brother from a tragic fate she's foreseen since childhood. Of course, there's also the matter of contending with the mystical creatures lurking in the nearby woods. And so begins a captivating allegory about learning to coexist with both the ghosts that haunt us and spirits who might enlighten us. Monkey Beach marks Loretta's first narrative feature, and it is rich with temporal shifts, stylistic flourishes, and stunning performances from emerging and established actors. It's a testament to Indigenous women's ability to not just endure trials, but emerge from them empowered. Which, come to think of it, that might be the thread that does run through a lot of your work, Loretta. <laughs> Loretta Sarah Todd, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Oh, thank you. And thank you for such a beautiful introduction. I, I'm glowing. If people could see, I, I would be glowing. You know, so thank you so much. It, it, it itself was very thoughtful and poignant. And, you know, I feel very honored to be here. I, you know, I've followed your career as well over the years. And I really appreciate your dedication and devotion to independent filmmaking in, in, in Vancouver and in BC, and, and especially your support of um, women filmmakers. So um, thank you so much for inviting me here today. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to invite you, Loretta, is to try to figure you out. Um, <laughs> maybe you can help me. How, like, how do you describe your, your aesthetic and your, your 
sensibilities as a filmmaker, you know, especially like as somebody who has seen so much of your work, I'm, I'm at a complete loss. I know I just want to watch whatever you put in front of me, but you know, what kind of a filmmaker are you? Well, you know, I think there's sort of two sides to me. One of one side is that I feel a very much in the, in the continuum of um, indigenous women who put themselves in service to the community. Mm. So series that teach Cree, series that teach indigenous science, you know, documentaries about, you know, the people from our communities and the histories we've endured. To me, that's part of being in service. It's, it's something that, you know, isn't necessarily celebrated in the film community. It isn't it's sort of seen as something that's, you know, maybe too, you know, you know, not, uh, you know, not sort of, uh, you know, arty enough, you know, maybe not as individualistic enough that, you know, mm. you would actually see yourself as having to um, answer to to something other than your artistic vision. And, but that's how it is. I mean, I think, you know, very early on in my film career, I was told those things. I was told those things by mentors and elders that, you know, really these aren't your films. These belong to the future generation. So you have to be really careful about the images that you make, the stories you tell and how you tell them, because that's going to influence our young people and others, how they see us and how, you know, they, um, you know, how, how, how we're, we're known. So I take that very seriously. I think that's a really important role and responsibility as an Indigenous filmmaker. So I think that's part of me. I think the other part of me, which I believe is fused with that, is someone who is in love with cinema, mm-hmm. is in love with storytelling. You know, even as a small child, I would, you know, I'd watch all those old movies, you know, stay up late at night. Um, any chance I got to read, any chance I got to, to see a movie, it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter what I was reading. I didn't care. I just wanted to sort of experience the world differently. And so um, I never would have thought one day I'd become a filmmaker. You know, we came from, you know, welfare family. We came from poverty. We came from, you know, all those things. I, I was a runaway. I was a street kid, all those things. But there was always this kind of... Um, you know, so I, I, I wasn't even, you know, I was never meant to be a filmmaker, but there was something that was always driving me um, toward telling stories and, and finding a, a voice as a filmmaker. And, and it was really important for me to draw on all those experiences, all those, you know, sights and sounds I'd seen my whole life, you know, the, the light, you know, at dawn, the light at dusk, you know, the light at at noon, you know, the shadows, the, you know, the sounds that, you know, you can barely hear, but, you know, there's something trying to tell you something. All those things that kind of haunted me, my life as I sort of experienced, you know, um, the world, um, you know, have been there. And then to look at how other filmmakers interpret that. So I'm heavily influenced, I believe, just because I watched, used to watch a lot of the films, Japanese films. Um, I used to, you know, sure, I get sucked in by Disney. I get sucked in by all those films as well as a kid. But there was a part of me who wanted to see how the other world, rest of the world, expressed who they were. Mm. So as soon as I became aware that there were films from Japan and China and Russia and Africa and, and you know, Senegal and, and uh, you know, uh, anywhere in the world, uh, you know, I was heavily into magical realism films when they were around for a while there. Yeah. So anything I can see was something I would draw from and, and, um, and I would look at how they experienced their place, you know, their lives. 
and how they express that with the camera, with the editing, with the sound, with the performances. And that also influenced me. So, you know, I think that's, um, you know, a little bit of insight into who I am. Ooh, that's exciting. And you know what, but listening to you speak just now, I'm also reminded of Lisa's journey uh, in Monkey Beach, you know, as somebody who, who, who leaves, who runs away, and then who comes back and brings her experiences back with her and has her own journey. It's very fresh in my mind. It's definitely fresh <laughs> in my mind. I'm going to be haunted by this film for a while. But let's talk about, so this is your, your, uh, your, feature, your narrative feature film directorial debut. Um, why, why Monkey Beach? Why this, why this property for your, your narrative feature film debut? Well, I'm very, very honored that I even had the opportunity to make Monkey Beach uh, as long as it's taken. Um, but I have to also preface with that, that back in the 90s when we, you know, I got out of film school and there was a fledgling little indigenous um, film community out there, we were trying to make features in the 90s. It wasn't like particularly in the late 90s. We were knocking on the doors of telephone. We were getting development for projects. I was asked by a number of people to direct their scripts. Um, you know, prominent people, prominent writers. And um, for some reason, I guess we were kind of ahead of our time, ahead of the curve. Um, and so, you know, but that was always my desire. My desire always was to do feature films. I mean, I went, my, my early work was experimental my, and, and then also documentary. But, you know, many of those times was because that's what was available to me, but also because people would approach me, like the veterans and Forgotten Warriors, they came to me and said, Can, you know, you help tell our story. So, um, so doc, you know, feature films has always been, you know, my dream. And for whatever reason, it sort of, didn't gel. So finally, in the in the early aughts, um, I was actually approached by another film, another producer to 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 direct a, uh, um, a book he was trying to option, which unfortunately he wasn't able to get. But I was able to watch the process in terms of optioning. And shortly after that, I was I was at a media event, and one of the local um, producers here in town, Julian Darling, came up to me and said, "You should option Eden's book." Mm. And I've told this story, but I'll, I'll tell it again. Um, you should option Eden's book because her writing is like your filmmaking. So that made like, oh, that was kind of like, you know, a, a, one of those moments. And I went, oh, so I quickly ran out and got the book. And even before I read the book, I looked at the acknowledgments and in the acknowledgments, she had my name and she hadn't met me. I, you know, I didn't, I hadn't met her, but apparently in one of my earlier films she had used for research, but also she was inspired by me for, you know, I guess my tenacity. I don't know. Um, so anyways, I, I approached her and said, gee, can I option your book? And she said, yes. And then after that, it was a matter of dealing with lawyers and agents and, and getting the option. Um, but more importantly, when I read the book, um, it just made so much sense to me. It was all those things that I talked about in terms of my life as far as, well, first of all, you know, being, being a kid myself, being a street kid, it's not that, you know, Grace is a street kid, but I mean that whole kind of, you know, um, street-involved life, you know, that life um, of, of kind of, um, um, it's kind of, a, it's hard to describe what that life is. But anyways, um, but there were so many things in which, even though, you know, I'm not Heisla, I didn't grow up in Kitimat, and, you know, there were still so many things that resonated with me. There were so many things about Lisa in a book called Lisa Marie that resonated with me 
this person who had these powers but never really was able to understand them and embrace them and had to go on that journey to do that. And I think that's the journey um, of all, should be the journey of all of us, you know, as, as humans. But as Indigenous women, I think that's a really critical journey. It was a journey that we went on traditionally. You know, we were, you know, we were all called upon with our special gifts and special skills. And that was nurtured through ceremonies, through, you know, apprenticeship, and, and it could be many things. Um, and so that was a journey that's age old. It's not just a current today journey it's a journey that's been going on for you know since time immemorial so there was something about that journey that just really resonated with me that you know I saw a piece of myself in that and I also saw that other people saw that in themselves indigenous people but also non-indigenous people it's a book that sort of transcends genders and and ethnicities and age and you know this just seems to be this kind of devoted and and almost fanatical in some ways um, following of people who love the book so much and you know it's still in print it's in its it's in its 20th year of publication it's used extensively in schools uh, high schools and universities in Canada but also around the world so um, yeah there was something that really really struck me I really felt I wanted to bring Lisa out and and I would even go further although someone challenged me on this I said she's a new archetype because we have all these other archetypes that we see in all the kind of Jungian analysis and, you know, and, and, and the, you know, all the kind of film scripts, you know, George Lucas, all this kind of the hero and all this. But to me, she's a new archetype. And I think she's an archetype for today because she's not like the usual hero. Um, and I, I, um, I, I was kind of devoted to, to kind of trying to bring her into the world as that new archetype. Now, you, you've mentioned that the book is beloved and it is in its 20th printing. What kind of challenges does that present when you are trying to adapt it to the screen and to bring, you know, to bring your own, your own thoughts and, and feelings and aesthetic to it while also knowing that this book is, is like the source material itself is so beloved and means a lot to so many people. Well, it's certainly daunting, and I know there's people going to say, well, it's not the book, and I know, you know, I try to capture the essence of the book, I try to capture the essence of, of Lisa, um, but it's not the book. I mean, there's many scenes from the book that are in the film, the whole trajectory, her whole journey is from the book, who Lisa is is from the book, who the family is, where the place is, is those are all in the book. But there were so many things I had to leave out. You know, there's just the reality of trying to make a feature film and, and uh, your first feature, you know. I mean, I tried to make it as a miniseries. I did take it to CBC in the past. And, you know, it was ahead of its time. So, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to see today that they're making Trickster into a miniseries. And, you know, yes! I, I, I applaud, you know, all the people involved in that. And I'm so happy for Eden that that's happening. But, you know, it wasn't in the cards for, for, for me and Monkey Beach. So, you know, I had to persist and, you know, and, and you know, my, myself, I'm a reader too. You know, I, it's a beloved book to me. And there's scenes that are just like, you know, so important to me. And I read them, you know, again and again. And, and you know, you know, sometimes we had, we had scripts, 160, even 170 pages. And, you know, telefilm and other finances would say, oh, it's too long, it's too long. And you have to bring it down, you bring it down. So there was that heartbreaking process where you had to, 
you know, take things out, you know, and, you know, for budgets, for, for other, you know, I guess, you know, your first feature, they're not going to give you the, the, the moon, you know, with, with respect to, to, to a budget. Um, so that was a, that was a process that was a very, you know, painful, you know, process. And I still feel bad about scenes that I really wanted to have in the film that, that aren't. And scenes I actually wrote as well that, you know, I had to take out that to me kind of enhanced the, the, the film. Um, and the other thing is kind of a little bit, because everybody has their own take on it. Some people see more of this whole kind of, uh, you know, traditional culture, contemporary culture battle, which I don't, didn't really see or, you know, other people see it. I remember, and I've told this story as well, but there was, I was up at the Seashell Writers Festival and Eden was there and I went to see her and we had this sort of beautiful moment during the during the uh, her presentation and then later on we were talking I was a lady came up to me and says oh you're turning the film into a feature and I said yeah and she, she says oh yeah I, I can't wait to it because I really love Stephen King and I was thinking I had to you know I, I said to her you know this isn't the Stephen King version of, of Monkey Beach I mean I said I'm sorry to say I said, I understand that how you, you, you can see that because there is suspense and there is these kind of, you know, um, sinister kind of creatures kind of lurking. But that wasn't the, that to be able to have that arc, to be able to have that thread was, was, a, was another script, was another yeah. time, was another budget. So I, I, so I know there are going to be people out there expecting the Stephen King version. I know there's going to be people who are expecting the kind of, you know, conflict between white culture and native culture. Um, and, and not to say that that doesn't pervade the story in terms of, you know, um, colonization. Um, but really, in the end, it's about Lisa and her love and devotion to her family and her need to be able to embrace that medicine that is her. That in, in, in her case, it's supernatural, a supernatural power, but it's still the medicine that each and every one of us carries within us that is meant to, you know, to, to serve those who we love. And, um, and so that's really, in the end, what I could do the best. And you did it so well. And if I have not said it before, um, I'm going to say it now. This film is a delight. I can't think of a better film with which to open the the Vancouver International Film Festival. And um, it got me in my feels and I did have some jump scares and uh, it's, it's, but it's also, it's, it's beautiful. You know, the, like the, the water and, and the light and you should be, you should be very proud. I hope that you are. Um, I want to talk about your actors because I think the casting is phenomenal. We have Sarah Lee's MacArthur, Nathaniel Arcan. Adam Beach, Joel Willette, the glorious Tina Lehmann, Takea Blaney, and Grace Dove in the central role of Lisa. Let's talk about Grace. Let's talk about Lisa. What were you looking for when you were casting that role? Well, you know, it's taken so long to make this film that I've gone through many other potential Lisas. Hmm. And that also breaks my heart because there was people who I thought would have been perfect um, Lisa's, but you know, we didn't have the money, we didn't have the go ahead. So time changed and they were no longer in the age kind of category, if you like. So that kind of breaks my heart. Um, but nonetheless, um, when it was came time and we worked with Renee Haynes, who's you know very well known in terms of casting Indigenous films, who's not Indigenous, but who has a very you know um, broad knowledge of who's out there. 
um, she had sent me um, a list of p potential people. And um, when I saw Grace, it just seemed like, you know, she was the one. I mean, there was no doubt about it, but, but also partly for a couple of reasons. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't want to have a commercial success. I mean, maybe it won't be a commercial success and because of COVID that makes it difficult to have a commercial success. Mm -hmm. But it was really important for me to make a film that was, was beautiful and, and had a beautiful cast because we're beautiful people. As Indigenous people, you know, you know um, colonization, racism tells us we're not beautiful. We, you know, we spend every day being told we're not beautiful. We don't live up to the European norms of what beauty is. And, you know, the ugly, ugly names that are called our people and especially our women, um, you know, and yet we're all beautiful, you know. And so it was really important for me to, for this film to be you know, beautiful. Not all of us can be as beautiful as Grace. I mean, certainly she's a rare, rare, rare beauty, you know, and, um, but I told her that. I said, look, you know, you are the star. I'm here to support you. I'm here to let you be the star of this film. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm not the star. You are the star. And that's was something how kind of built, we helped help build trust with her. Um, and I, I, you know, I really, you know, was very, you know, I worked with Sterling Bancroft as an amazing cinematographer and that was, you know, another thing with him and, and he would never let anybody look ugly, um, especially not Grace, but he was very, um, you know, that was a clear, def, you know, note to him is how beautiful I wanted our people to be betrayed. I wanted the, mm -hmm. our faces to be betrayed. Um, the, the other thing is it was, um, you know, and, and then I guess I had to, you know, find that way. And then, you know, one of the actors said to me, you know, he said, you know, um, a lot of directors treat us like puppets, but you treat us like, like actors, like, like people. And so I think that's one of the reasons I got such good performances out of them. I, I tried to come prepared. I tried to have the scene already blocked. I tried to have it all, every scene storyboarded so that when they showed up, they didn't have to worry about the director kind of, eh, I don't know what to do. I had best as I could because, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, indigenous woman making her first feature. If I screw up one little bit, it'd be, oh, see, they can't make features. So I had to, I felt that pressure very strongly. So I felt I had to be, you know, super, super um, prepared, super, super um, ready. And even sometimes when I wasn't, and even sometimes when, you know, my, my God, I was like, you know, feeling nervous, um, I had to not present that. I had to present, you know, the, the I, I, as I say sometimes, the big sister, you know, the big sister who's, you know, going to to um, envelop everybody and, and, and make, let them, you know, have the space to create the, the great art that, you know, they're all capable of doing. Yeah. So I, I'd like to think I got, you know, some really good performances out of them. And I also have to say that, you know, I, it was really important for me to bring West Coast people because, so many films, you know, us Plains Cree people, we kind of have the classic look that, you know, the media wants for Native people because we're tall, we have high cheekbones, you know, we have that, that particular look, um, and which all those people you, you know, you mentioned, well, though Tina, even though Tina's Cree, um, I wanted to also have a strong West Coast, and if, you know, the more West Coast actors I could have had, I, I would have, um, would really like to have been able to find them yeah. um casting calls you know this is this is who but so I, I included stephanie mathias who's squamish 
who I've always wanted to work with. I think is a totally underrated actor, and I hope that she gets more work as a result of this. Um, Takaya Blaney is, you know, post, you know, from from here, and and mm-hmm. I think she's she's an amazing actor. Nick, uh, the the Jan the the Jan Lee, who this was really his first role. He's a he's a filmmaker in his own right. Um, oh, wow. You know, raised by you know the most amazing family. Um, um, and um, so it was, to me, again, he sort of embodies that sort of West Coast. He's not Heisler, but he's a mixture of Clinkett and Haida and he might have Shimshan and he might have some Heisler or Helsinkar. So he's a, you know, he, he definitely sort of embodied that, the, the people from that area. Um, so, so that was really, really important to me, you know, to, to try to include as many. And Sam Bob, you know, um, who plays Little Redhead Man, who's mm-hmm. also a person who I love. Um, so those people were really important as well. And then also local. There's many non-actors in the film, the people who are, are local. You know, I did audition people for some of those roles, but, you know, the, 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 there just wasn't the budget to bring them in, or, or as I was told. So I, I looked for local people, and we found some really good people to play some of those roles. And then also um, the kids, you know, Zoe, and, and who plays young Lisa, and Mika, who plays teen Lisa. And um, Oliver, who plays young uh, Jimmy, you know, you know, they, these they, Micah is like a really, really dedicated actor who does a lot of performance, and you know, I, I, you can see it. She's very, very, um, you know, skilled as an actor. Um, Zoe is just really new to this, and I think she did a remarkable job. And Oliver is very new to it too, and so I think they did a really good job. Oh, I think I have a special amazing. skill being able to work with children. Yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I feel really proud of them. I, I think they did an amazing job, and I like to think it was because, you know, there was that trust and that, that they knew that I trusted them and that I really admired um, their their skills as, as actors. Um, how do you think the experience of making Monkey Beach will change you as a filmmaker moving forward? Well, I'm a funny... I've always been an outsider, for better or worse. You know, some of that's my own issues. You know, I want to be an outsider. Um, some of it's because the doors just weren't open, you know. Um, so there's always been a little bit of, um, like, where do I fit within this big picture of, you know, Canadian filmmaking? Um, and so I've always had to kind of go my own way. Um, and, you know, I, I'm happy for that. I, I think I've shown great independence. Um, you know, I've had, you know, some breaks, but mostly I've made my own breaks. Um, so I've had to, you know, produce my own work and, you know, and in the process of that, I've, I've, I've mentored and hired so many Indigenous crew and give them, you know, tried to, cry, I've tried to with, along with, with others, you know, from back in the day. We've been trying to build an Indigenous film industry for a long time. And, you know, was, I've always been dedicated to hiring um, people, giving people opportunity to direct, to write, to, to you know, work in, in crew, work in, you know, post, all those things. Um, Coyote Science, we have, like, pretty well, almost, just, you know, occasionally, we, we work with non-Indigenous people, too, but, you know, you know, the time is now for our people with all the skills to be able to have the work, because they're not necessarily getting hired elsewhere, so. Um, so, yeah, so how is it going to change me? I don't know, because... Um, again, I think it's such a unique film in so many ways, um, and there's so much expectation on it. I mean, I'm hoping people just 
immerse themselves in the story, immerse themselves in the, in the film and let themselves be swept away and carried away about it. And that the kind of powers that be that exist in this, you know, industry um, don't go, Oh, well, um, she's an outsider, you know, that's a good film, but we don't have to worry about, you know, you know, about her. I'm hoping instead they will go, well, this is a, you know, an amazing piece of work. And obviously she's capable of, of being able to manage, you know, the many levels I've managed making to make this film. Um, and, you know, therefore, you know, let's find, find ways to, to, you know, make it happen some more for her. Um, but in the end, I know I'll have to still make it, make it happen for myself as a filmmaker, as the, the aesthetic goes, it just, it kind of reinforces that, um, um, the way I see the world, um, you know, is, is something that I want to build on um, as, as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, that the way I, you know, have a relationship with the camera, the way I have a relationship with storytelling and, and the audio and all the layers of the story, I just want to build on that. I just want to be able to keep, you know, adding to that and, and to create even more beauty and bring even more, um, you know, the power and strengths of Indigenous stories and Indigenous storytelling. Yeah. Um, how would you describe this moment in Indigenous storytelling in, in, in Canada right now? I, I know I, I'll never forget. It was a couple of years ago and uh, there were a couple of Indigenous films that swept the BC Spotlight Awards. And, and uh, one of the filmmakers stood up on the stage and said, we're here to decol we have to decolonize the arts. We have to decolonize the film industry and people were cheering and and it was very powerful moment and I was like wow I wonder if I, I doubt this would have happened decades before and I'm so excited to see where we're going to be going into the future so how would you describe this particular moment well actually we've been trying to decolonize the screen for for a long time and you know, the very first time an indigenous person picked up a camera that was an act of decolonization yeah. And that's been going on for, you know, before us. It was Duke, Red, Duke Redbird and um, Will, uh, Will, Willie Dunn, who made a film back in the 60s with the National Film Board. Of course, Alan Issa Bumswin, um, you know, Gil Cardinal. Those people were decolonizing, you know, back then. So this is not, I mean, that's one thing that kind of bothers me a little bit about the way um, things work. It's sort of like, oh, now they're, you know, you know, now this, now they're decolonizing it. Oh, now that now we can, you know, now this sort of these acts. No, it's been going on forever, and and not just filmmaking. I mean, there there is no. I hate this term res, re, uh, renaissance. Um, this idea that suddenly somehow we weren't we weren't doing, and now we're doing. We've always been doing. We've always been storytelling. You know, despite the many laws that were, you know, denied us the rights to be able to tell our stories. We've always been, um, or, or practice our ceremonies, or even gather in groups of larger than three, or be able to leave the res without a pass. You know, that wasn't in every place, but it was, you know, very strong in the prairies. Or, you know, lose our land and our livelihood, you know, at a whim. So despite that, despite all that colonization and all that, you know, efforts at genocide, our people continue to tell stories, to continue to create art. 
to an art that was very cinematic that, you know, even if it was 2D or, you know, 3D carvings or whatever, or beadwork, there was cinema within those. And so mm -hmm. to me, we're part of a continuum. And so when we, uh, when we now are, you know, at this particular time, that's also the result of many, many years of amazing people who kind of been banging on those doors um, to sort of say, hey, we're here you know, let us in. Like I say, I was trying to make features in the 90s and we created the Aboriginal Arts Centre at the BAMP Centre, people like Marjorie Bocage and Maria Campbell and, um, um, you know, Will Campbell, you know, back in the day started the uh, Indigenous Studio at the National Film Board in the 90s, which sadly didn't last. But, you know, there's been all these many, many efforts um, over the years to try to like keep bringing our stories forward. Um, and the, what, what was good is, that at some point, all that work, all those layers of work, um, you know, and you know, Telefilm has, you know, you know, done its best, really. I mean, I, you know, CMF has done its best. You know, a broadcaster as well. You know, you, you know, they could, you know, in the past they could have done a lot more, but you know, they, they, there was a lot of good things going on as well. Uh, APTN, you know, if it wasn't for APTN, a lot of us wouldn't be here because, as because APTN, we were able to get. Um, you know, experience producing, doing all the things, building, building, a, you know, a, a core a crew, um, you know, building, you know, you know, the ID, IDF program, that, you know, at CAPU that Peter Emanuel uh, runs and is now head of the Boston uh, Film Center, actually. Um, yes. All these things have been kind of being, you know, layers and layers have been building, building, building. So we have been decolonizing the screen for, for a long time. Um, what has to happen is that we have to be able to own our projects 100%. I think that's a critical thing right now, especially as we move into feature films. As a producer of children's programming, I own my projects 100%. But what happens in feature films, there's this idea that, um, well, they're the, they're the, the jewel, you know, in, in, in the crown, so to speak, because of course, you know, the, the colonial construct of that, but also in, in television dramatic series. Um, that somehow we still have to be grateful to others to help make this happen mm. when we ourselves are perfectly capable of doing that work ourselves. Yes, we need beautiful people who are, you know, willing to be in service to us, who can understand um, what, you know, that we're not, you know, that we're part of a continuum, that it's really critical that the stories we tell are, you know, seen as something that is going to, you know, have to live on for generations and generations and you know so we're, it's, it's, it has to be situated within indigenous law it has to be situated within indigenous learning systems it has to be situated with indigenous um, um, cultural expression and that we have to own those projects and all those cultural institutions like telephone and CMF and the Canada Council and all those things have to support us in that and the broadcasters have to come on board with that as well and um, so that we so that there is no conflicts over who owns these stories um, because we own these stories and we own this expression i mean it's because of my ancestors it's because of the, you know eden's ancestors it's because of you know the bones of our people on this land that we have the imagination that we have to be able to tell the stories in the way that we tell them and that has to be central to anything that happens within Indigenous um, media. I guess my last question then involves the specifics of screening at VIF. So Monkey Beach will have a, an in-person screening 
as well as be available to screen online. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so it has an opening, which is the 24th, which is by invitation because it's, you know, just 50 per theater, right? So the right. Van City will be the official opening, uh, you know, on behalf of BIF. So there will be the cast there. Um, and I hope to, you know, do some special honoring with them, but there's the cast and then BIF dignitaries. So so that's the, the opening night. Um, and then, um, but meanwhile, at the Rio and at Pacific Cinema Tech and also at the K Meeks Theater in West Van, there will be tickets available to attend screenings. Also COVID safe, 50 people with masks. And even though I think the theaters aren't requesting mandatory masks, I hope, that my request of mandatory masks is, is heated, partly because we have so many precious elders and mm. we lose one elder, we lose, as they say, you know, an encyclopedia, we, we you know, so, yeah. um, so, you know, that's really important to me that people wear the mask in the theater. Yeah. Um, as well as, um, I know that um, there, we're also very, very fortunate that um, VIF has been so, um, I think, proactive and so brilliant in terms of bringing uh, the festival to beyond Vancouver. So they're also showing in Terrace, Salmon Arm, Kamloops, and one other city I can't remember, but I, I, it's in the Kootenays. Oh, wow. And those will also be on the 24th, and there's tickets for those. In Terrace, because Terrace is the next town over from Kitimat where there is a theater, Terrace will be showing Monkey Beach throughout the festival. There'll be an opening on the 24th that will just be for guests. But after that, people will be able to buy tickets to the terrace um, uh, thing from the 25th, I think, to the 30th. And I'm hoping, you know, that maybe they, they might keep it over for a couple more days. Like, you know, um, Van City is going to do this. That's going to do the same. They'll show up for a couple more days after the festival, which also will be tickets. The online, it's, they sold out within hours. Mm-hmm. Um, the single tickets, um, and then they're also selling out. They, they offered more tickets. So we, we talked with them and said, "Listen, there's such a demand, and people just didn't get them. Can we offer more?" So they offered more. I don't I don't know if those ones are now sold out as well. Um, and then you can also access it if you buy a festival pass. So if you buy a festival pass, and you know the, the single tickets are sold out, you know you can also access it that way as well. And if you get a festival pass, then you can see the film, um, you know, um, you can see all the other films, amazing films that are at at BIF, and there's a lot of Indigenous films this year, so it was, they did a lot of great work in terms of bringing um, Indigenous film. The other thing is, um, it's also showing at at the Calgary International Film Festival, basically through the same dates, and it's geo-blocked to uh, Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and they'll also be doing it in in, um, in theater screening, I think, on the 3rd of October in Calgary. And then, um, it, it, I don't think, that, there's a couple of the festivals that haven't been announced yet, but it, it will be at, at those as well. And I also have to just, you know, applaud myself a little bit because... Applaud yourself, yes! Even, yeah, I know, but even <laughs> though I, I, would, I didn't, I, there was factors um, that interfered with me being able to finish the film on in, in, in early earlier than er, as early as I had hoped um, so I wasn't able to submit to TIFF to be considered for their programming mm-hmm. but I did still submit late and um, they were able to uh, put it into the industry select so we did screen in the industry selects during TIFF so oh. feel good about that as well. 
Fantastic. Yes. I applaud you as well. You take that applause. You deserve that applause. And I am, I am, I am so looking forward to experiencing this film on the big screen. I mean, I, it, it definitely moved me on my laptop from my media screener, but uh, it is also the kind of film that my gosh, it needs to, it needs to be seen on the, on the big and screen. Heard. And I will and, wear my mask. And, I promise. Yeah. And wear, wear your mask and definitely heard the soundtrack is amazing. I mean, the music, yeah, the music's the, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Zubat is an amazing composer. Russell Wallace is an amazing composer. His voice, Russell Wallace's voice, and uh, Tiffany Moses's voice is there. All the music from, like, the people from Kitimat, like Snotty Nose Res Kids, um, you know, Mob Bounce, Hebes the Earth Child, um, Arthur Renrick, all, you know, or people from that area, either from Kitimat or, you know, in the area. And so, it was really important to me to have their music. And then also I was really lucky that Chris Dirksen, who's an amazing, you know, Ojibwe um, cellist, yes. to have her music. And also Iskwe, who's also an amazing uh, Cree Métis um, singer, you know, musician. And then also I have one non-Indigenous person's music in there, and that's Hannah Gorgias, uh, I'm maybe mispronouncing her last name, who's from BC and uh, I was fortunate to be able to um, use one of her songs. And then also there's a beautiful song called Hey Liga, which is a traditional song, which is owned, uh, traditionally owned by um, Richard um, Pollard and Dolores Pollard and sang by Dolores Pollard, which is also amazing. And I also have to give a big shout out to the people of Kitimat. We mm -hmm. couldn't have made the film without them. Uh, we hired a lot of people from Kitimat. It was, you know, I, I, I'm sure we did things maybe not as good as we should have, but we did our best and there was such a warm welcome and such support. And I especially have to big, give a big shout out to the woman who worked on Monkey Beach with us from Kitimat, um, particularly in the, in the locations department. Some of them took time off work their own jobs and in time away from their families to be able to come and work on Monkey Beach. So, you know, that, that you know, woman power was, was, was so, um, so valued um, on set, but, you know, but, but also, you know, all those boats, you see all that knowledge of, you know, water and ocean and salmon and, you know, whales, all that stuff was, you know, we were able to, commercial fishery isn't what it used to be. So, yeah. you know, able to hire people to be able to come and, and you know, let us, you know, charter your boats and, and have your knowledge of tides, all that kind of stuff to make all that, you know, those water scenes work. That was amazing. Um, we have an amazing stunt director from Vancouver, who's married to a woman from Musqueam, um, um, uh, Jonah Crawford Sparrow, um, and his first name misses, is missing. I'm sorry, but it's you know Crawford. It's like Bruce. All the people. Bruce Crawford. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So it's amazing, amazing. They're an amazing um, family. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's just so many amazing people, and I, I have to give them, and I'm not even listing them all. Um, there's just, you know, the Heisla Nation, their support, and the Chaco, you know, Kitimat Development Corporation, who supported us. Also, all the funders and broadcasters. APTN was in at the beginning, mm. you know, um, and then Crave and CBC came in, in as well. And, you know, of course, Telephone. What a journey and, it's been. Yeah, it's been, it's, been a, it's been a huge journey. And, you know, the Greenberg and Crave and CBC, Creative PC. So, so many people. And you see, you saw in the credits all the big long list of people. <laughs> and I'm still agonizing that I left somebody out. <laughs> But the film is also dedicated to um, John Robinson, who is Eden Robinson's late father, who um, Eden tells um, I was, he was my number one fan and I miss him. 
I know I don't miss him like they do because he was uh, such a light in their life and breaks my heart um, for them. Um, also Tom Rowe, who was, um, you know, someone who believed in me back in the day. And then um, also my mom. So those are also people that, you know, I have to do a shout out for who, who um, you know, I know in, in their way are, are, are seeing the film. Yes, of course they are. Loretta, this has been such a joy. I love talking to you. I can't wait to talk with you. Well, after I see the film on the big screen, but also after whatever whatever next project you decide to uh, you just decide to do, and then I'll, I'll have to revisit my entire Loretta Saratod uh, description because uh, you keep you keep me on my toes that's for sure um how can our how can our listeners find you and follow you and celebrate you on the social media I don't have, i'm not a big social media person i know i should but i've just been too busy um we're getting our website redone um oh, okay. which should be up soon at the monkey beach i think it's monkey beach the film or monkey beach the movie um we're on facebook or monkey beach the movie you know we do have twitter and and, and but we're not doing that right now just again because of you know budgets and staff and people who who can do those things um but um there's that that's a good place to kind of to uh to, to look for us and, and to get updates about what's going on with the film okay great and we will make sure that we include links to all of that and also the previous articles that i've written about loretta oh in the yes they're all really great yeah. article or if for the footnotes for this episode Loretta Saratod, thank you. And thank you also to our listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene. YVRScreenscene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Furminger. I am the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger for technical support. Yes, Loretta, we are a family business over here. And to Dane Devillay for the original music. Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. Thank you.